If you're reading along with us, let's turn our books to page 225, chapter 25, Brother Ananta and Sister Nalini. Ananta cannot live. The sands of his karma for this life have run out. These inexorable words reached my inner consciousness as I sat one morning in deep meditation. Shortly after I had entered the Swami order, I paid a visit to my birthplace, Gorakhpur, as a guest of my elder brother, Ananta. A sudden illness confined him to his bed. I nursed him lovingly. The solemn inward pronouncement filled me with grief. I felt that I could, no, I could not bear to remain longer in Gorakhpur, only to see my brother removed before my helpless gaze. Let's take a moment, of course, here to just talk about the very concept of death. Um, it's not something any of us look forward to. It's not something any of us would want anybody else in this life to experience. Yet, it's one of those inevitable, absolute yeah. certainties, inevitable realities. Um, life, in fact, in the way that we know it, cannot exist without death. And so on and so forth in this dual reality. The question is, which is the interesting question, is the times that people pass and leave this world. Most of us, even if, you know, even if we're like okay with the concept of death, there's somewhere in our minds we assume that, yeah, you know, at least I'll have 70 years, I'll have 80 years, I'll have 90 years, whatever it is that you see yourself as living. But that's not always the case either, is it? Some people have 30, some people have one year, some people have a few months on this plane, some people go on beyond 100. And there's just this unknowability, you know, this, this lack of certainty is when that will come. And right now we're witnessing um, in the world, um, you can almost say a mass exodus. A large number of souls are kind of exiting at this stage. And of course, it is not for us here to wonder why or even try to comprehend what their karmas must be because of course, God knows exactly what each soul needs. And over here, you've got Ananta. Ananta is not very old as well. I can't imagine he's any more than 40 or so at this point. And uh, Yogananda gets a very clear understanding. The sands of his karma for this life have run out. And that's a very interesting statement. The sands of the karma for this life have run out. And each of us have a certain karmic... Mm, blueprint and the moment the moment this life no longer supports any specific growth for us it's like okay now there is no real point for us to be here anymore and that's what's interesting about life is that each life has you know an entirely different set of lessons an entirely different set of learning some requires us to be for much longer some requires us to be here for much shorter swamiji once somebody asked him you know 
what is it that draws people into a specific family? Is it like everybody, all the members of the family? Uh, you know, are we being drawn to this mother, to this father, to this brother? And Swamiji said, maybe, sometimes, yes, that could be true that the whole unit has strong karmic, you know, ties. But he said, sometimes it's just to one family member. Sometimes it's just to the circumstance that that family can provide. And you may not even have a very strong karmic bondage or tie with any family member but what that setting can provide for you in terms of what your soul needs that's what's being drawn to you and so at each stage and if we set back a little bit and see ourselves as a soul on journey which is again it's hard because of our identifications we'll just be like oh yeah you know oh this class is over and now comes the next period and now comes a new teacher and now comes you know the next uh, grade and now comes the next diploma and now comes you know so on and so forth and the interesting part here is that like unlike class you know our school which is like one year of this grade and one year of this grade this does not follow that same pattern this follows if you've learned what you needed to learn the time's over you've gotten where you are and if it seems that you will no longer learn what it is that you are meant to learn even then they say they kind of say let's graduate them to the next stage where perhaps they could learn this lesson better i was thinking here that when yogananda received that information almost like that message that prophecy even before his brother physically passed away, he came to that place of acceptance. This is something is about to happen. I cannot change my brother's destiny. I cannot alter God's wishes, God's will. I cannot change my brother's karma. This is it. And I have to accept it. I'm not going to argue or ask God to change his plans towards this soul because this is it. It, it was like almost a, you know, a, a, a final decision. This is it. And, and it's interesting to see in this paragraph how Yogananda's um, understanding of that ultimatum of, of this is a final decision. He didn't argue with God. He didn't pray to change that karma. He was like, okay, I accept this uh, and I find, I will find a way to cooperate with this grief, but, but I know this is what needs to happen. And one of the things that sometimes I have seen in friends, in guru bhais and and I had a little period of that when Swami Kriyananda passed away, which I consider him the closest to me. Luckily, no one of my family members have yet passed or, you know, my parents or anything of that sort of experience, which perhaps you have gone through and it's very painful. But we have seen some people, after someone very dear to them going away, they spent after that the remaining years of their life grieving about that 
not fully accepting that this was God's will. And, and they get almost emotionally stagnant in, in their ability to fully accept and, co and co comprehend that this is part of you know, life. And, and if each one of us can come or can train ourselves daily to the acceptance that those people that we love the most will also eventually live this life, and sometimes even before us. So I love that concept of Swamiji once saying, we should live our life as if this was the last day of our life. You know, telling to those people that we really love how much we love them, doing those actions that, that we know, like, let me do this in case I don't see him again, or I don't see him for another three months, or, or let me just give completely in this way. Because when those souls will be taken away from us, we won't have that feeling of, oh, I wish I could have done this way, or I wish I could have said in this other way. In this case, we know that Yogananda did absolutely anything he could spiritually to help his brother, but this was it. So anyway, basically what I'm trying to reinforce is a concept of acceptance and knowing that when God decides, decides that we have finished um, our lessons, there is no point uh, for us to keep extending something that is not going to add anything to our own karma, nor those people who are around us. It's important to remember for a moment that Ananta actually took discipleship and Kriya initiation mm -hmm. from Yogananda. So in a sense, his elder brother was his own disciple. And what's interesting about this chapter, we've got brother Ananda and sister Nalini, is both of them uh, have a similar experience. In one case, Yogananda kind of completely understands, accepts the fact that his brother no longer has the need for this lifetime and is about to transition over. And the same with his sister, but in her case, you know, he prayed, he fought, and he kept her in the body and mm -hmm. brought her back from death's door. And that's such an interesting thing, how a master needs to tune into these two realities. Mm -hmm. You know, when to let go, when mm -hmm. to fight. And isn't that a question that we so often have for even the tiny things of, in life, in a project that we are doing, in a relationship that we're trying to, you know, better, when to let go and when to fight mm -hmm. for it. So let's see if there's other, other insights that might come through this process. <clears throat> Amidst uncomprehending criticism from my relatives, I left India on the first available boat. Instantly, Yogananda left. Of course, I'm jumping the gun, but even later on when Sri Yukteswar is about to pass away, Yogananda happens not to be there physically and is kind of rushing, trying to get to Sri Yukteswar's place and he says to Divine Mother that I know why you took me away from here because had I been with my Guru I would have 
really fought with you to keep him in the body. And even here, Yogananda almost wants to physically bring himself out of the picture, lest in his humanity, he, you know, begin that little bit of... Fighting. Because he had the power actually to hold anybody in their body beyond even what their own destiny allowed for. So he very kind of graciously, gracefully, with a little bit of a heavy heart, he decided he needs to step away from the situation lest he feel the need to intrude on this process of his brothers. In fact, the same happened with his own mother. It seemed mm. that God didn't want him to be in that moment where those that he loved the most were taken away. I think God really provided throughout his life to be uh, in those situations where, you know, his mother, his brother, his guru. His guru uh, it's something interesting to, to contemplate. I cruised along Burma and the China Sea to Japan. I disembarked at Kobe, where I spent only a few days. My heart was too heavy for sightseeing. On the return trip to India, the boat touched at Shanghai. There, Dr. Mishra, the ship's physician, guided me to several curio shops, where I selected various presents for Sri Yukteswar and my family and friends. For Ananta, I purchased a large carved bamboo piece. No sooner had the Chinese salesman handed me the bamboo souvenir than I dropped it on the floor, crying out, I have bought this for my dear dead brother. A clear realization had swept over me that his soul was just being freed in the infinite. The souvenir was sharply and symbolically cracked by its fall. Amidst sobs, I wrote on the bamboo surface, for my beloved Ananta, now gone. There's such a sweetness here as well because, you know, of course, Narayani was talking about this acceptance. And sometimes we may think of acceptance as almost like an aloofness and just, you know, like, all right, this has happened. A, a certain sense of indifference, perhaps, that we need to force upon ourselves in order to accept. But you see over here, Yogananda was, is more human than perhaps even we are in certain ways. His heart ached just as much for that loss, even knowing clearly what this process was, yet that inner humanity, that love, that relationship he shared with his brother, however tumultuous it was, it meant something. And he honored that through even kind of recognizing the loss that this life has placed in his hands through his brother's departure. So it's sweet both ways. And that's important to realize, you know, it doesn't have to be some sort of a stern rejection of the world. Like, okay, this is just how it is. Therefore, let me not get close to anybody. Let me not get attached to absolutely anything. That's not the point here. The point here is to love so completely that when you know the soul is moving on to its next step, you wouldn't want to hold it back. You see, that's the difference here, that that love's so true that you recognize what needs to happen. And only when the love is true will that soul be able to even communicate to you and say, it's my time to go. 
But when there is attachment instead of love, then you won't even hear those words and you wouldn't know. Should I put out energy? Should I not put out energy? Should I pray very, very hard and save this particular soul or should I recognize and pray in fact and instead for his or her liberation? And that can only come from that space of true love where you're loving not the individual egoic personality, but you're loving that soul and its evolution rather than just that tiny moment in fact, this is a very important point to keep in mind when we are praying for those who are going through suffering, some disease, you know, a tough period, even emotional periods, you know, where there is a lot of this harmony in our hearts or towards other people. But in this particular case, it's about disease and about someone that is about to leave their bodies. And this is something, a good practice to to keep in mind every time we pray let's pray for the soul evolution for attuning ourselves with god's will not our own will not what we would like for that person not that what for what you know still we feel it's very important for us to bring us in that place of perfect trust where i can cooperate with God's will because he knows what's best for this person's, this soul's evolution. Recently, a friend of ours, she wrote us a message because her pet, Lucy, who has been with her for many years, uh, suddenly they discovered she had cancer. So, this friend had to decide, what do I do? Do I just accelerate this process? Uh, do, you know, do I need to try you know, to give her chemo? How should I pray? I mean, because this pet is not just a pet. It's, I mean, she's like my daughter. She's a family member. I I'm really want to pray in the right way. And we wrote her like, why don't, do, why don't you just concentrate to pray for her soul evolution, whatever she needs to, whether she decides to stay longer, you will support her. Uh, if she decides, I mean, she means her soul decides to leave, you also support that. But basically, cooperate with God's will. Pray in such a way that God, whatever you decide, decides is best, I will cooperate with that. And that gives a sense of relief because it's not really our responsibility to save lives. It's God's responsibility. And, and as much as we learn to cooperate with him, even in the moments of uncertainty, fear, uh, doubt, uh, that's where our true faith will come from by always, you know, wanting to cooperate with God's will because we don't know what else to do. It's, it's a wonderful feeling that, that comes by constantly, you know, wanting to be part of God's decision. Whatever he decides, I know that's the best. My companion, the doctor, 
was observing these proceedings with a sardonic smile. Save your tears, he remarked. Why shed them until you are sure he is dead? When our boat reached Calcutta, Dr. Mishra again accompanied me. My youngest brother Vishnu was waiting to greet me at the dock. I know Ananta has departed this life, I said to Vishnu, before he had time to speak. Please tell me and the doctor here when Ananta died. And Vishnu named the date, which was the very day I had bought the souvenirs in Shanghai. Now, of course, your uh, Yogananda is helping the doctor particularly learn a tiny little thing, but it's also very important for us to realize that these are perceptible moments. Just as Yogananda felt his brother's soul merge into the infinite, you know, leave the body, move on to whatever next stage, it is when we are able to have that little bit of inner distance that we too can perceive all these things. It is only when we are so deeply agitated, only when we are so insistent on our will, as Narayani was saying, that's when this communication becomes impossible to have. And again, it's, it's true for absolutely everything. We're using here a very, a very difficult situation to bring out this particular point, but this can be true for any moment in your life. Anytime you're hurting, grieving, confused, unsure, where doubts beset you, that's the time not to get agitated by them, but to step away from them inwardly a little bit and instantly that guidance will come as clearly as never before. Father embraced me warmly as I entered our Garpa Road home. You have come, he said tenderly. Two large tears dropped from his eyes. Ordinarily undemonstrative, he had never before shown me these signs of affection. Outwardly the grave father, inwardly he possessed the melting heart of a mother. In all his dealings with the family, his dual paternal role was distinctly manifest. Soon after Ananta's passing, did you have anything to say here? No, I, I just had that thought like, you know, in a much more human level, I mean, Ananta really was, after Yogananda's mother passed, he became part of Yogananda's father team. And in a sense, it was Ananda that almost spoke always in the name of their father. You know, when Ananta had to run behind Master when he was trying to go to Brindaban, when he was trying to just run away from home and wanted to become a monk and wanted to go to the Himalayas. It was his father who was very concerned as well, but it was through Ananta that his father had that support and that kind of, um, uh, I don't know, extra strength through Ananta. So I can only imagine what this meant for the family, the loss uh, of the presence of Ananta as, a, as, a, as the figure that also hold more practically the family together. So now having that energy, you know, dissipated physically from the family core, from the members, I, I have a, a feeling that now his father also knew that, you know, it was his time to detach 
himself completely from his children. He knew that Yogananda would have his own destiny. His, you know, daughters also were about to get married. You know, like he almost realized that I'm also going to enter into a different stage of my communion with God, with my guru, my own, you know, stage of, um, at the end of my life, now I need to reorient my position in this family and where do I want now to give my priority. So anyway, I, I feel this is a very unique moment also for Yogananda's father that we have to acknowledge that, Yoga, that Ananda was indeed his support system and, and, and he held the family together many, many times and now that was gone and it will definitely will affect the dynamics of the family at a much more subtle level. Soon after Ananta's passing, my younger sister, Nalini, was brought back from death's door by a divine healing. So here we are, the very opposite of what happened with Ananta. In Ananta's case, as we said, Yogananda being able to just immediately, intuitively ascertain the divine will in this process. And on the other hand, with his sister, the, you know, conscious dynamic fight almost with the universe to ensure that her life is spared. Before relating the story, I will refer to a few phases of her earlier life. The childhood relationship between Nalini and myself had not been the happiest, ha not been of the happiest nature. I was very thin. She was thinner still. Through an unconscious motive or complex, which psychiatrists will have no difficulty in identifying, I often used to tease my sister about her cadaverous appearance. Now, of course, this is something we all have grown up with, the little sibling rivalries and little sibling dynamics. And it's almost sweet to visualize Yogananda, this thin little boy and then his little sister, even thinner, and both of them, you know, at it with each other. I often, oh, there we go, her retorts, were equally permeated with the callous frankness of extreme youth. Sometimes mother intervened, ending the childish quarrels temporarily <laughs> by a gentle box on my ear as the elder ear. So always the elder one <laughs> has the responsibility. <laughs> I, sometimes you can just reading this, all of us can kind of go back a little bit. I can think about my time with my own brother and how our moms would ha our mom would have to intervene at times, although she never boxed my elder brother's ear, I don't know why. Time passed. Nalini was betrothed to a young Calcutta physician, Panchanan Bose. He received a generous dowry for father, presumably, as I remarked to sister, to compensate the bridegroom-to-be for his fate in allying himself with a human bean pole. So you can see this banter, this back and forth little, you know, triggering of each other continued even late into their lives. Elaborate marriage rites were celebrated in due time. And on the wedding night, I joined the large and jovial group of relatives in the living room of our Calcutta home. 
The bridegroom was leaning on an immense gold brocaded pillow with Nalini at his side. A gorgeous purple sari, silk sari, could not, alas, wholly hide her angularity. I sheltered myself behind the pillow of my new brother-in-law and grinned at him in a friendly fashion. Feeling my sympathy, Dr. Bose pointed unobtrusively to Nalini and whispered in my ear, Say, what's this? Why, doctor, I replied, it is a skeleton for your observation. Convulsed with mirth, my brother-in-law and I were hard put, hard put to it to maintain the proper decorum before our assembled relatives. So here you can see a lighter side of this relationship and perhaps a little karma that might have existed between brother and sister. We've all gone through this. It's another interesting thing, siblings, isn't it? Sometimes they're the fastest and bestest of friends and sometimes they just continue to drift apart until there are so many people I know who have very disharmonious relationships with their siblings, some not speaking to each other at all. Uh, and then on the other hand, some who are just, you know, they live for each other and they live so closely. And again, it's just such a fascinating, amazing drama, just constantly being written in each of our lives. And who would know when a child is born, when a soul is born, what their journey would be, what these two souls, how would they interact? Will they get along? Will they not? And of course, over here, we're seeing that continued karma between Yogananda and Nalini, which from a very early childhood was very apparent. And that continues on for a while. Of course, there are a few more paragraphs that we can skip over, continuing in that same vein. Finally, we get to the important point. A few days later, I visited the Bose home. My errand there only took a few minutes. I was leaving unnoticed, I thought, by Nalini. As I reached the front door, I heard her voice, cordial but commanding. Brother, come here. You are not going to give me the slip this time. I want to talk to you. I mounted the stairs to her room, and to my surprise, she was in tears. Dear brother, she said, let us bury the old hatchet. I see that your feet are now firmly set on the spiritual path. I want to become like you in every way, she added hopefully. You are now robust in appearance. Can you help me? My husband does not come near me, and I love him so dearly. But still more, I want to progress in God-realization, even if I must remain thin and unattractive. It's interesting how time after time, so many things change. It was uh, at this time being thin was unattractive <laughs> later on up, up till very recently if you weren't thin you were not considered it you know you if you were anything but thin you were considered unattractive and just how human consciousness and psyches continue you know and it's just <laughs> sometimes this is good sometimes that is good what this person likes somebody else doesn't like and it just keeps us in this game for longer and longer because lifetime after lifetime, this time we are thin and we say, oh, this is unattractive. In the next life, you know, God says, all right, you didn't want to be thin. Let's give you a little bit weight. 
and then we'll have some issue with that or the other and no matter what we seek it's never going to fulfill us and here even though she so beautifully does balances these two eventually she, she says but what i really want above all yeah i have desires yes i want to be better in some fashion or the other look better act better whatever it is that we want more of this more prosperity better relationships we all have our list of things we would like to be different in this life but above all she says i want to progress in god realization and that was the key that is always the key we have to start from that perspective otherwise maybe you can fix certain things maybe you could get from thin to not so thin or the other way but the game still continues the wheel continues to turn and one life it's this and the other life it's the other then is the other there was the story of that yogananda would tell about a devotee of gods who towards the end of his life you know just tells god one thing like oh you know in my next life i wish you give me better health because now it seem you know i'm not able to live a full life and so in the next life he gets a better health and then at the end of his life in that life he says well you know i had such a long health but i didn't have a companion to share this life with so next time please give me a companion you know a wonderful wife or husband or whatever it is and in the next life that's what he gets and he's like oh no you know <laughs> this she was uh, such a nagging wife and it was really hard next life please give me somebody who you know is just a very dutiful and she's lived on for so long and she became so old i need a younger you know person who's with me and so on and so forth and so on and so forth lifetime after lifetime there's always this one thing if you had only changed it would have been better but of course it never ends any better no matter what my heart was deeply touched at her plea our new friendship steadily progressed one day she asked to become my disciple again an interesting thing ananta was his disciple now nalini is asking to be his disciple train me in any way you like i put my trust in god instead of tonics she gathered together an armful of medicines and poured them down the roof drain these are powerful words train me in any way you like i put my trust in god instead of she says tonics but for us you can fill in the blank with anything that you have thus far been giving more faith to i put my faith in god rather than the food that i eat in god rather than the money that i'm so desperate to have more of in god rather than all the relationships that i'm looking to perfect all the time and that's what we need i put my absolute faith in god and until that doesn't come no matter what we do no matter how wonderful it is there will always be something that doesn't work always in fact the, this paragraph just only these two three lines it's the essence of discipleship i mean this is it if you ask us what is discipleship this attitude i mean this is what's all about to just start i mean put in you know first of all you have a clear intention clear uh, realization why you want to enter on the spiritual path what do you really want to to attract you know what what do you really want 
In her case, she, she understood, I want God. I mean, I want what you want. And it has nothing to do with my outer world, nothing to do even with my appearance, even though it's there, but that's not going to be my priority or my first choice when joining the path. So how the attitude in which she entered the path was already so right to the point that Yogananda said, my heart was deeply touched at her plea. That means she was able to attract God's grace into her life. Very quickly, she took discipleship because she achieved that consciousness of, I'm going to trust fully. My faith is going to come, you know, by giving my life to you. And only then I will see. I, I don't want to expect anything, but, but my first step is going to be, I'm putting my life in your hands. And you will give me whatever I need. I mean, that's powerful. That's the kind of faith that moves mountains. That's the kind of attitude that brings healing, that brings prosperity, that brings fulfillment of any kind. When you know that from now on, you don't have to be afraid of anything about nothing. I mean, it's just, it's powerful. And, and I think this could be a good sentence perhaps to meditate on in the next few days. Train me in the way you like. I put my trust in God. I mean, this is like, wow. I mean, who has the guts even to say those words? I mean, making them such a true statement. So anyway, I, I, just, I just wanted to emphasize this is what discipleship is all about. And, and then you start seeing the results. And she will explain here all the things she did and what she followed to the T in order to attract that blessing, that healing. As a test of her faith, I asked her to omit from her diet all fish, meat, and eggs. After several months during which Nalini had strictly followed the various rules I had outlined and had adhered to her vegetarian diet in spite of numerous difficulties, I paid her a visit. Sis, you have been conscientiously observing the spiritual injunctions. Your reward is near. I smiled mischievously. How plump do you want to be? As fat as our aunt who hasn't seen her feet in years? <laughs> no, but I long to be as stout as you are, she replied. I replied solemnly, by the grace of God, as I have spoken truth always, I speak truly now. Isn't that beautiful? Through the divine blessings, your body shall verily change from today. In one month, it shall have the same weight as mine. As I have always spoken truth, I speak truly now. Now, Yogananda could have said this even before. You know, he, in fact, had the power to be able to say, all right, if, you know, in one month, you're just going to be the exact weight that you want. But first and foremost, 
the disciple has to be made ready to receive because the masters are already saying uh, your freedom is assured i want to see you free i want to see you in bliss i want to see you you know so their word is already given it is us that it takes forever actually to be able to receive their word and that's what nalini did in that little whatever yeah. those months were days were weeks were because that's how long it takes is dependent on our intensity at with with which we follow the injunctions of our guru the intensity with which we long for this so religiously in a, such a committed fashion then whatever needs to come that's just already waiting for us yogananda had already you know from the moment he heard her plea he probably already knew ah of course she'll be fine she's going to be she's going to get exactly what she wants but he had to test her he had to prepare her he had to open her so that when that moment does come she's the one able to receive and the way he prepared her was to giving her several you know instructions and that's where the role of the disciple comes in do we follow the instructions that the guru tells us i mean do we really apply daily what he advises to do do we behave in the way that he's constantly reminding us to behave do we live by spiritual principles do we apply those values daily how strictly are we applying you know his teachings the way in his you know has taught us and that's where the success is measured in each devotee it depends only after all in our ability to attract that miracle according to our intensity in applying those teachings i mean how we practice how we apply the intention behind it that's the magnetism that's the motor that is generating already that miracle to attract that blessing in our life so another thought to keep in mind <laughs> how how much you know how much better can i apply no yeah those teachings these words from my heart found fulfillment in 30 days nalini's weight equaled mine the new roundness gave her beauty and her husband fell deeply in love <laughs> their marriage begun so inauspiciously turned out to be ideally happy now this is all the past this is yogananda just bringing us a context now we come to the present or his present in that moment on my return from japan i learned that during my absence nalini had been stricken with typhoid fever i rushed to her home and was aghast to find her reduced to a mere skeleton she was in a coma before her mind became confused by illness my brother in law told me she often said if brother mukunda were here i would not be faring thus he added despairingly the other doctors and myself see no hope blood dysentery has set in after her long bout with typhoid so of course the doctors fail 
that she's going to pass away very quickly. I began to move heaven and earth with my prayers, engaging an Anglo-Indian nurse who gave me full cooperation I applied to my sister various yoga techniques of healing. The blood dysentery disappeared. But Dr. Bose shook his head mournfully. She simply has no more blood left to shed. She will recover, I replied stoutly. In seven days, her fever will be gone. A week later, I was thrilled to see Nalini open her eyes and gaze at me with loving recognition. From that day, her recovery was swift. Although she regained her usual weight, she bore one sad scar of her nearly fatal illness. Her legs were paralyzed. Indian and English specialists pronounced her a hopeless cripple. So this is such a kind of a contrast to what we just saw happen with Ananta. Yogananda jumps in there, he moves heaven and earth, as he says, with prayer, with applying certain techniques. It's like somebody once told me, now I don't know if this is entirely true, so let me, you know, let me just give a little thing. A friend of mine who was, who's came from an ancient lineage of astrologers, and he says, in astrology, they give you, th there are three potential dates of when you can leave this world. And if you miss the first two, for whatever reason, then the third will, be, of course, be your final. Now, whether that's entirely true or not, it gives the understanding that there are, there are more than just one moments where you come to a point where either you could go on, but in order to go on, something has to shift, or that's a good time for you to check out and say, all right, this is as far as I could come. Now, here we can see maybe Nalini is in one such moment where she could possibly leave, or there has to be some major shift in her to, you can say, almost justify the continuing of this particular incarnation. And Yogananda is keen on her making that particular shift, is keen on her continuing some particular growth and lesson that is yet to be learned that this life can still offer her. Anything you want to say as I read? The incessant war for her life, which I had waged by prayer, had exhausted me. I went to Serampore to ask Sri Yukteswar's help. His eyes expressed deep sympathy as I told him of Nalini's plight. Your sister's legs will be normal at the end of one month. I love all these, like, in one month you'll be as fat as you need to be. In seven days, she, her fever will break. I mean, on one hand, they could say, you know, like, oh, right now, tomorrow, she's going to do this. But there's always this little period. And this is an interesting period. I don't know if you remember even previous stories where Sri Yukteswar saved a father of one of his mm -hmm. disciples. He extended his life For only a little months, bit. Yeah. And, you know, he didn't wear those, whatever he needed to wear. And, oh, he didn't do, he didn't omit meat from his diet, so on and so forth. And then soon after he passed. It's like that those periods are an interesting moment. Um, two of our devotees, two of our very dear friends, recently uh, went through COVID and have just come out of the other end having recovered. But they went through a very severe form of it uh, where they needed a lot of 
a lot of steroids, oxygen, they went into delirious moments where they weren't even sure where they were, where they are in this present moment. And both of them talk about having a sense of a presence with them throughout. They couldn't name that presence particularly, of course, they now know it to be their guru. But in that moment, they just said there was a presence and I'm not sure about it. But they both went through in a different space, in fact, they felt like they weren't on this particular plane where a work was being happened, a war was being waged, where it was both up to them to wage it and up to them to receive it. So a lot depended on what they do in that period. Almost you can say it was a period of life between life, death between death, where the body was not the identity, but the soul was the real identity. And they were in a space between space. And uh, if you've ever gone through a very serious illness, perhaps you've had such an experience, when, especially when we go into that little delirious moments during our dreams and all, and you can't quite tell what's going on, but you know something major is happening. And these are the moments where, because it's not that the masters are here to say, oh, I want to save this person, so in one month. It's whether this person wants saving, is there? Because the soul is the real intelligent being here. The soul knows what it wants and the soul may decide it needs to leave, but they give it this space and time to figure out, to play that, to wage that war, and then come out either transformed from the experience or, you know, just kind of sure that this is no more for them. This life has offered them everything that they needed for now. So he says, your sister's legs will be normal at the end of one month. He added, let her wear next to her skin a band with an unperforated two-carat pearl held on by a clasp. Now Sri Yogteshwar, as we know, was an astrologer and did often recommend certain, you know, specific stones to people. Not just because his word was not enough, because you will see, he says over here, Yogananda, Sir, you are a master. Your word of her recovery is enough. But if you insist, I shall immediately get her a pearl. So for Yogananda as well, he says, well, if you've said, if my guru has said, but again, the, the guru, he also acts through his own particular channels. He's given his word, but now a lot depends on the individual as well, whether they follow what he says, whether they use, because the vibration of these specific, you know, precious stones and gems have a particular role to play in strengthening our aura, in supporting our aura, in guiding us subtly in certain ways, having been in, on this planet for millions of years before they've been extracted out to then carry that power in our lives. Even beyond that, I mean, when 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 your belief has to be so strong that it doesn't matter really if it's about a stone having properties but just because your guru tells to do so and that's the only real motivation that you are wearing that pearl and you are embracing that and using that as your vehicle to salvation i mean that's where the real test comes to each one of us. I mean, do we really believe 100% what 
when the guru says, if you do so, you will achieve that. If you do it in this way, you will attract that. If you meditate in this way, you will be free. You know, it's just like, do we really believe? And that's the real power and, and the real test that ultimately, you know, your own guru will expect from you, God will expect from us is, do you really believe? And do, have, do you have such faith that, you know, even the parole, yes, you are going to do it, but it's not about the parole. It's about like, if he says it, must be true. And you just cling yourself in the vibration, in that affirmation of your guru and your guru's guru saying, she's going to be fine. And that's what really, you know, it's just the way you are clinging onto. Well, we've reached 12 o'clock. We've moved a little past it, but we have just so we can finish, one or know, two. For five minutes? Yeah. We... Just, I mean, rather than read to just kind okay. of bring the chapter to a close <laughs> by saying that Nalini walked right after. Interestingly, immediately after that, Sri Yukteswar says, takes it a step further and says, many doctors have told your sister that she cannot uh, bear children, but tell her that she's going to have two beautiful daughters, and that turns mm -hmm. out to be true. So. Again, what's beautiful and interesting and confusing in this chapter is just the stark difference between how that situation played out with Ananta and how that situation played out with Nalini. Nalini not only, you know, increased her weight to the what she wanted, was saved from death's door. Now she's paralyzed. Now she's no longer paralyzed. Oh, she can't have children. Now she can have children. I mean, it feels unfairly so that Nalini is being given all this abundance. And Ananta, on the other hand, was, you know, just, all right, his time is here to go. His time is here to go. Nothing else. Nothing else beyond that moment happened there. And again, you just have to marvel at that divine, omnipresent intelligence that what each soul needs. Because from our perspective, we're looking at them and like, oh, we should, you know, both of them should have been given the same treatment. But no, that wouldn't have worked for either of them. <laughs> That's not the point here. The point here is not that we can live a few 10, 15, 20 more years. The point isn't that we can, you know, overcome some tiny little handicap every now and then. That's not the point. It's not to ease our lives. It's not to make there be no suffering. It's not to just take away, you know, any sense of freedom that we need to seek beyond this world. And that's what this whole thing is about. So when you look at people, when you see the lives of many people, judge them not by comparing lives and saying, uske saath aisa hua tha and iske saath and this person loves you more and it seems the guru is more with this person because some of their problems don't exist and he must not be with this other person because they're going through all this problem. No, none of that is true. Just by this very chapter, it's so evident God is working individually with every soul giving them just what they need when they need it and for us to say this is right this is wrong this looks better this looks worse I choose this I don't want that is just ignorance of course on our part because we don't know and again we get to the very crux of it all I put my faith in God instead of blank uh, just to end, I love how this chapter ends. That last paragraph of Nalini giving 
all the credit to Sri Yukteswar. Mm. Like, it's just touched my heart. Like, wow, not, not only even to Yogananda, but the kind of reverence and kind of, you know, adoration, almost unrecognition, the figure of Sri Yukteswar in India and how he blessed her whole family, Yogananda. And I mean, it's just for her to have such reverence, respect, and acknowledging that really the power came from him and those last words and her children, her daughters, came as a blessing from Sri Uteshwar. Wow, just, just a beautiful image of how she was able, her faith, her devotion, her respect towards her guru's guru. I mean, it's just really, I can only imagine what kind of, uh, what, that, that, that devotion where that brought her spiritually and inwardly and what she was able to pass on to those children, her two daughters, you know, in gratitude for that blessing that Sri Yukteswar and Yogananda bestowed upon her. With that, we hope that the gurus and the masters keep blessing you as well and that you have just the same devotion and faith to, be attract, to attract whatever it is that they're trying to give each one of us. Have a very, very blessed Saturday. And uh, tomorrow we 